Raiders, start your engines! Welcome to the one place everybody wants to be. Victory Lane, your source for news, analysis, discussion, interviews, and more from the world of NASCAR. Here's your host, Davey Siegel. Welcome back, party people, to the place everybody wants to be. You know it, you love it. It, of course, is Victory Lane. And even though it's the offseason, we are rolling on along with the show. I appreciate you guys sticking with me through the unconventional schedule of the pod this offseason. But some shows, they don't do any podcasts. Some, you know, DBC, they have their Christmas special. Uh, some shows are like, well, it's the offseason. I'm going to take off. Well, that's not how I roll. And that's not how we roll here on Victory Lane. When I'm not doing my duties with the 24-7-365, your home for NASCAR channel on SiriusXM, SiriusXM NASCAR Radio Channel 90, I'm here giving you some unique special content, and that will happen today in the form of my interview with Sage Karam, driver for Alpha Prime Racing this past season and this upcoming season. Great chat with Sage. I look forward for your guys' reaction to it. Before we get to that chat, let's throw it back, and this week's Wayback segment is going to pay homage to a gentle giant of sorts. The number 71, it's a storied number in NASCAR history, and Papa Siegel has more with this week's Wayback segment. Thank you, Duke, and welcome everyone to episode 171. Last time around, we paid homage to speed demon Bobby Isaac, with honorable mention nods to Sarah Christian, the first woman driver in NASCAR history, as well as Dave Marcus. I remember episode 71, however, as the first time Davey scolded me for my Wayback segment being too long. Ah, good times. No worries today as we give our shout-out to a worthy NASCAR Hall of Famer, Elsie Wiley Baker Jr., you knew him as Buddy, won 19 races over a 700-race cup career. Three of those wins for Baker came in car 71. He was the son, of course, of the great Buck Baker, who we previously profiled in episode 87. He was best known as a super speedway specialist and still holds the record for most laps led at Talladega. He also became the first person to break the 200-mile-an-hour lap record there in March 1970. Baker retired from racing in 1992 and enjoyed a successful follow-on career as a commentator and radio host. In fact, some of Davey's co-workers at Sirius XM may remember him in the initial days of their NASCAR channel. Baker had the nickname of the Gentle Giant. He was a mountain of a man and could easily have passed for an NFL lineman instead of a race car driver. He also was known around the garage for being a several packs a day smoker. In July 2015, he announced that he had lung cancer and died the following month. He was 74 years old. Buddy Baker was named one of NASCAR's 50 greatest drivers in 1988, and he was inducted into the NASCAR Hall of Fame in January 2020. That's all for this week. Back to you, Duve. 
Thank you, Dad. Yes, as I said, the gentle giant, as he is belovedly known, gone way too soon. But in his time here with us, whether it was on SiriusXM or whether it was on the television screens or on the racetrack, on pit road, in the garage, Buddy Baker certainly left his mark on the sport. His legacy will live on far, far, far past our time here as well. All right, let's start off this episode, as we always do, with a good old-fashioned and throw it straight over to my interview with Sage Karam of Alpha Prime Racing. That man is very, very interesting, and I'm glad that he's coming over to the stock car side of things so we can see and experience his interesting story for ourselves. But as you guys probably know, his background's in IndyCar and open-wheel racing. We chatted about that in this conversation. That fateful day at Pocono where his life and so many others changed forever. We didn't get too much into that just because of the limited time that we had. And he's obviously talked extensively and at length about that. You can find it pretty much anywhere. But the aftermath of that and going to Pocono in the Xfinity Series car, what it meant to go there, race at that racetrack, experience the things that he did, feel the feelings, for lack of a better term, and how all of that impacted him. I'm really excited for you guys to hear his answers there. He obviously grew up in Nazareth, very synonymous with the Andretti's and racing and wrestling. Why and how is that so prevalent in his life and his career? And also, obviously, the here and the now and the future. What is he looking to accomplish next year with Alpha Prime Racing? How well does he think he can do? Is a win even potentially on the table at a road course? Sage Karam is going to tell you right now. Here's the chat with Alpha Prime Racing's Sage Karam. Pleasure to welcome on to the show this week, the newly announced driver on a partial schedule next year for Alpha Prime Racing. It may be the offseason, but I know this guy, he is hard at work prepping for this upcoming year. Sage Karam is back on Victory Lane. How's it going, my friend? And premature hello to your dogs as well. <laughs> it's going well. Yeah, no, dogs are here in all fours i got three of them so um if they bark i apologize in advance <laughs> well as i told you before we started recording no need for apologies it would not be the first time i hope it's not the last and they're more than welcome to come in and i can interview them too i mean they're part of the family right yeah sounds good i got i got one right here by my feet i just keep scratching his head so he doesn't, he doesn't do anything Why? <laughs> i love it i love it all right well i introduced you as the driver for alpha prime racing and i know you had some limited starts with them last year but Silly season is kind of running rampant right now. Like literally just before we hopped on, Toyota was announcing all their Xfinity drivers for Joe Gibbs and Sam Hunt. At this time of recording, I think it was about a few days ago, but you kind of got ahead of the curve, announced that partial schedule for Alpha Prime Racing next year. I'm curious how much of a weight off your shoulders you feel having that announcement out in the open and more importantly, just knowing what you're doing for the bulk of next year. Yeah, I mean, it's it's great to... Uh to be knowing that you're going racing, right? And um, for me, I've been making this transition from open wheel to stock car racing. And um, the more races I can get, the better. You know, I'm just trying to get as much experience as I possibly can. And last year we had a pretty good schedule, but you know, this year's looking like we're gonna extend that schedule a bit more. And, um, you know, I'm gonna get a nice variety of some tracks that I haven't been to and, and ones that I really need to check off the box and just to see where I really do stand with these guys. So we're going to get into your background. We'll get into the open wheel stuff, the NASCAR stuff, why you came over to the stock car side of things. But with my interviews, I like to go all the way back, 
start out with your roots and kind of your childhood. Even before that, you know, some people may recognize your name from the open wheel ranks. You've obviously been in stock cars for a couple years now. How often do people just assume that you're named after a spice? <laughs> All the time. <laughs> you get well, you got the spice girls. Are you a spice boy? <laughs> I mean, I guess, but no, everyone everyone always says like when I say, Yeah, my name's Sage, they're always like like the spice. I'm like, Yeah, yeah exactly like the spice. You have a brother named Saffron or like Time, anything like that? <laughs> no, I got a sister named Sydney. Very, very, very easy with that one. <laughs> Another S. It could have been Saffron. I don't know. Your parents yeah, had a missed opportunity could there. Could have cornered the market on Spice Children. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, I want to go back to your childhood now. Born in Nazareth, PA. For me, when I hear Nazareth, I think of probably two things. That's the racetrack that is triangular in shape and unfortunately is kind of gone by the wayside. And the Andretti's, right? It's obviously a racing-rich town with racing-rich heritage. For you, growing up in Nazareth, around racing and in racing, what was it like being in Nazareth growing up for you? Yeah, I mean, um, Nazareth, you know, it's not like a big city or anything. So it's a small town and, um, you know, Nazareth's pretty much known for its, its wrestling program, which I did wrestle for in high school, and um, the Andretti family. And we got Martin guitar if you're into guitars, but, um, okay. <laughs> so, um, yeah, no, it's, it's pretty cool. Um, when you grow up in a town like that, that has some racing knowledge. And, um, when you have a, a name like Andretti residing there, um, it's a pretty big name in the racing world. So, um, you know, you're, you're genuinely just gonna follow racing just, just, you know, even if, uh, you don't know racing all that much, you're going to follow the Andretti's and, you know, growing up as a kid, um, I was obviously a fan of them. Um, I got to go to a few races at Nazareth Speedway. Um, and that was kind of always a dream of mine to be able to race in front of my home crowd there at Nazareth Speedway. Um, and then shortly after I started getting like really serious into go-karting, um, that's when Nazareth Speedway started to kind of go away. And, you know, I saw kind of Every day I'd go by it because I only lived like five minutes from it. But every day I'd, I'd drive by it and you'd slowly start to see the bleachers going away. And, um, you know, it was it was pretty sad as a young kid because, you know, that was a, a big goal of mine in life. But, um, you know, I was fortunate enough to become pretty close with the Andretti family. My dad was uh, Michael Andretti's fitness trainer when he was racing full time in IndyCar. So um, I spent a lot of time around them and, and um I wouldn't be a race car driver if it wasn't for knowing, you know, the Andretti family. Um, so, you know, they got me involved in it and got me started. And, um, you know, like I said, Nazareth is also known for wrestling. So when I was born, I feel like I was, I was meant to be a wrestler. And that was kind of the goal was, uh, to wrestle my whole life, go division one and, and, uh, so be it, you know, but, um, racing took over and wrestling, you know, fell by the, uh, the back seats there. And, um, you know, I, I still keep wrestling in my life. Um, I'm assistant coach at Easton high school right now. My dad's a head coach there, so I love it. But, um, yeah, racing took over and, um, I couldn't be more happy. <laughs> so like you mentioned, um, even though the Andretti's are synonymous with Nazareth, your family was also close with the Andretti family as well. Your dad was Michael's fitness trainer. I think if I had my research correct, you actually were driving to upstate New York a couple times a year to go race with the Andretti's as well. So even from a young age, besides your dad having a relationship with Michael, 
you developed a relationship with the entire family as well. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, that's essentially how I got started was, um, you know, Michael was so busy racing full time. Uh, Marco was at that age of, of needing to get into racing, you know, to, in order to make it to professional. And, um, you know, that that's what kind of got me involved was it, it got brought up with Michael and my dad talking, Hey, if you can take Sage go-karting, you know, I can help with some, you know, buying him a go-kart and, and everything, as long as you can just bring Marco up with you guys when you go racing. So me and Marco and my dad would, um, we'd go up every weekend to New York and, um, we'd race go-karts and that's kind of where I started. It's where Marco started. And, um, yeah, it's like me and Marco, we, we, we were friends, but you know, we were eight years in, in difference in, in age. So when you're a little kid, you know, like when I was like eight years old, like a 16 year old is probably not going to hang out with an eight year old. <laughs> so, so, um, you know, we, we were friends, but we didn't have like a real, like, hanging out relationship. Um, but as we got older and started racing professional together, um, you know, when I'm like 20 and he's 28, then it's like, you know, we can kind of talk the same language and, and, you know, we're experiencing the same things in, in life with racing. Um, and we started hanging out and became really close. And, and Marco is one of my best friends. He was my best man at my wedding. Um, so, you know, it's, um, you know, my dad's friends with Michael, I'm best friends with Marco and, and Mario's right around the corner here. So I see Mario quite a bit and it's always fun to, to get in a room with Mario and, and, um, hear some of the stories that he has to say about racing, you know, over his, his lifetime. Yeah. I can only imagine. Well, that's cool. It seems like a, like a trade-off of sorts. It's like, well, we'll get you a go-kart if you could just drive my son up there with you. It sounds like a good trade to me. Yeah, it was good. And, and like I said, like I wouldn't be racing if it wasn't for that. So, um, you know, it, it was a lot of work, you know, for sure. Like every weekend we were going up, driving an hour and a half to get there, hour and a half back. It was long days, but um, totally worth it. So speeding up here a bit, and I know we're skipping a lot, but we go go-karting, you have success there. You wind up getting a $350,000 scholarship at one point. You win the Indy Lights Championship. Again, right now you, you're you're still a teenager at this point. You're still working your way up and kind of getting your legs under you, but clearly you're having a lot of success. You're one of the brightest young stars in open wheel racing at this point in your career, in your personal life, professionally, how are you feeling? I mean, on paper, it seems like you're on top of the world, but you tell me at that point, what were you feeling professionally? Yeah. I mean, I was just all in hundred percent on racing and I was willing to do whatever I had to do and whatever it took to, to make it. And, you know, growing up, alongside the Andretti family, the goal was always open wheel. It was always to go race in the Indy 500, go win the Indy 500, win an Indy car championship. Um, that was always the goal. Um, so when I came up through the ranks, I did, you know, all the open wheel stuff. Um, and, you know, I was fortunate that, you know, I did have that relationship with the Andrettis. And when I got out of go-karting, um, Michael Andretti started a team, a USF 2000 team, um, and, you know, hired me to drive that, and I ended up winning the championship the first year. And then I moved up to uh, Pro Mazda and did that for two years with Michael. And then when I got to Indy Lights, um, you know, I, I didn't win the Pro Mazda championship. So, you know, funding was was kind of iffy. So when I, I moved from Pro Mazda to Indy Lights, I didn't have the funding to join Andretti. Um, so I had to go um, with uh, Schmidt-Peterson Motorsports. And I was fortunate enough to win the championship there. And I think I was a junior in high school then. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, like I said, I was full on, um, invested in racing. I, I, I moved out to Indianapolis that year. I was living out there on my own, um, you know, as a young kid. So, um, a lot of sacrifices to make it happen, but it paid off. Cause then, um, my senior year of high school was when I made my like professional debut and that was Indianapolis 500. And that was a dream come true. And I, um, raced with dry and Reinbold racing, but I was signed with, a you know, like a developmental deal with uh, chip Ganassi racing. Right. So it was pretty surreal knowing I was 18 years old and, um, you know, signed with one of the best teams in, in motorsports. And, um, you know, I was doing some really cool things, really cool events, uh, Indy 500, Daytona 24, 12 hours Sebring, like really, really cool stuff. Um, and everything was looking good. And then, you know, I, I had some tough times in 2015 racing an Indy car. Um, and that kind of like derailed everything. And from then I was just kind of chasing how to get back to like a full-time basis with, with open wheel racing. And that proved to be a lot harder than I expected. Um, and that's when I decided, you know, I wanted to explore other options and got involved in the stock car world. And it's been a breath of fresh air for me just because, I, I have seen the ability of a lot more opportunities opened up over here and, and I'm having a lot of fun with the challenge of having to learn this, um, this car and these tracks and this style of racing. And, uh, it's been, it's been a lot of fun, but like I said, a breath of fresh air and everybody in the NASCAR world has been super helpful and, and open to me. You know, I know it's, uh, even though I'm a, a race car driver, I, I come from a completely different world and, yeah. uh, you know, I, I needed some guidance for sure and some help and everybody's been really open. So I want to go back to something you said before we dive into the NASCAR side of things. I knew you were young when you made your Indy 500 debut. I didn't know you were a senior in high school. Like what's the conversation like on the Friday before you go race? And you probably were already at Indy at that point, but you get my drift. Like what are people at school saying? And what are you saying to them? Like th there's just two completely different worlds that you're living in right there. One, you're racing in the Indy 500, and two, oh, you got to do your math homework. Like that's yeah, my no, so to me. It was it was funny because um, you know when I signed that deal, I I basically knew like my life was changing pretty rapidly, um, and I had to be out in Indy. But you know, I I wanted to still be a part of school and and Nazareth. Um, and especially for wrestling, you know, like, like I said earlier, like wrestling is a big part of, of, of Nazareth. So I wanted to, to still be involved in the wrestling program there. So what I did actually was I did cyber school through Nazareth, um, while I was living in Indy and racing, you know, professionally. Got it. Um, so I did that so I could still wrestle once race season ended, um, in the winter, but then I could also do like, you know, school events and stuff like that. If, if anything came up that I wanted to attend. Um, but then I actually missed senior prom, uh, for Indy 500 qualifying. So, so that I'll was, allow a, it. yeah, that was a good excuse to miss it. Um, but then, yeah, I went and I raced Indy 500. Um, I got ninth, um, my first try, which was, was awesome. You know, I think I started like last row 31st and moved up to nine. So mm -hmm. had a great run. And then, yeah, I, I was able to go to graduation in June and, and walk with everybody and, and ended up wrestling senior year as well. So you mentioned, you know, things didn't go your way on the open wheel side of things 
when you came to 2015. You started to have a couple rough years after that. You wind up coming over to the NASCAR side of things. And like you said, it's been pretty prosperous. You've gotten a lot of opportunities. You seem really happy and healthy in terms of where you are personally, professionally. So you explain how and why you got here. But when you strap into a stock car for the first time, after having driven go-karts and open-wheel cars basically your entire career, how do you even begin to attack that beast and that task? Yeah, I mean, I've always had it on the radar to go try um, like an Xfinity road course race or something. I feel like a lot of open-wheel guys like want to try that. Um, but, you know, making it happen is definitely like a different task. And um, when the opportunity came to go do a race with uh, Jordan Anderson um, at Indy road course. Um, you know, we looked at it as it's an opportunity to try something new, you know, kind of get your feet wet with it, see if you like it. And um, it was a one race deal and that was going to be it. Um, you know, I, I, I didn't really know what to expect. I've driven a lot of different race cars in my career and sports cars, rally cars, Indy cars. I mean, you name it. And um, I figured, you know, I, I'd give this thing a shot and there's got to have been something I've driven that would be similar. Right. And, um, I go out there for the first practice and I, I, I found quite quickly that, uh, nothing I have driven was close to it. So <laughs> it was, um, a big like wake up call of having to, to learn from the ground up again and kind of unlearn habits. I, I guess you could call them, you know, what are good habits in say uh, in IndyCar were bad habits, in a stock car. So I had to unlearn those and relearn new habits. And um, like I said, it was learning from the ground up and um, in order to do it right, you got to go full on into it. So um, after that first race, I had a lot of fun. I enjoyed it. And that one race turned into like three or four races that year. And yeah. after that, it just became, I want to chase this as a full-time gig and and it's been chasing that since and you know like i said we had a pretty decent schedule last year an extended one this year and the goal is to become full-time so like you said you start out on a road course that's kind of a logical place for somebody like yourself with your background to start and then you go to bristol <laughs> talk yeah. about two different places how do you how do you even begin to attack that type of place especially for your second ever start in the xfinity series that had to be a whirlwind yeah it was and and you know, I think like when I announced that a lot of people were kind of like, like, whoa, like what, why, why Bristol, you know, out of all the ovals to go to and pick, you go to Bristol, which, you know, now knowing a lot of the Xfinity drivers and speaking to them, um, a lot of those guys rate Bristol as one of the hardest places to, to race. And, um, at the time I didn't know that, you know, I just, for me, it's just, I want more seat time. I want more racing and, and, um, whatever I could do, I wanted to do. And, and I had that opportunity on the table of like maybe doing a super speedway or doing Bristol. And I looked at those things and, you know, people might say, Oh, well, why don't you go do a super speedway? Cause you know, for you, like, it's just gonna kind of be flat out and, and, you know, it's more of a lottery. Whereas like Bristol, you're going to have to really like drive the car and, mm -hmm. um, you know, but I also looked at it as like, yeah, but at those super speedways and stuff, like I've never experienced like side draft or any of that stuff. And I could be getting kind of played with and, and not even knowing it, you know, like I don't know those things. I'd rather go to a track like Bristol where I have to drive it and it's more, more or less not a road course, but 
feeling like a little bit of a road course in a way with using the brakes and and really having to drive through traffic. Um, but I knew it was going to be tough. And and with it being like the COVID year and everything, we didn't have practice, didn't have qualifying. So my first lap on an oval and an Xfinity car was green flag at Bristol. And um, yeah, again, I started in the back because it went off points and not having any points, I'd start in the back and, um, you know, just slowly, steadily learned it and, and moved our way up. And I think we finished like 16th that day, which was um, still to this day, I feel like one of one of my best efforts. I feel like I feel like that was a, a that was like a win for us. And, and that's what really solidified, I think, for me, like, hey, I could do this if we just get some more seat time and really put our mind to it. So you're with Jordan Anderson racing back in 2021. Then you wind up going to Alpha Prime Racing last year, obviously going to be back with them this upcoming year in 2023. How did the conversations with Tommy Joe Martin, Cesar Baccarella, all the people over at APR, how did those conversations begin and then progress? Yeah, I mean, uh, last year they they began quite, um, you know, kind of out of nowhere. Um, I, I got a call from my manager that, you know, there was a potential – opportunity to go race for alpha prime and with them being a new team um you know i, I didn't it, it, i didn't know much about them you know it wasn't like i could just go look up like the results of how they were and stuff um so tommy was you know branching out and um you know i think for him he wanted to see where his team could really stand so he wanted to hire a bunch of different guys um you know that had kind of specialties you know a road course guy like me or um a super speedway guy um, you know, mile and a half guys, stuff like that. And, um, just wanted to see where his team was at. And that opportunity, um, led to, I feel like we were only supposed to do a couple races, but then that led into more racing. And I started to really have a, a strong, I started to develop a strong bond with the team and we started running pretty strong every time, you know, I got the opportunity and I feel like the team started feeling that vibe and I started feeling that vibe and we started really gelling. And then when we got that fifth place at Daytona, yeah, feel like it was, uh, I left that weekend and from pretty much then on, it was, it was, I feel alpha prime was, was trying, you know, how, how can we figure out to get you in a car for next year and, you know, for as many races as we can. And, and I left there with that same intention of, I really like it here. I feel like this is a great place for me to go to the next level. I want to take the team to the next level. And, um, you know, I think after the season ended, the deal got done pretty quickly. Um, but I'm pretty happy about it. And I think through the beginning of the season to the end of the season, Alpha Prime has made like tremendous strides and they're a pretty competitive team now. Um, and that's a lot of hard work from the guys there and a lot of drivers inputs that have been through those cars in the last year and it's just going to be another year of learning for me but also i feel like we're, we're in a better spot to be more competitive on a weekly basis as well was daytona when you had your uh, celebratory quote-unquote victory cigar with tommy joe because i saw yesterday it was his birthday you posted a picture stefan parsons posted a picture i didn't know that a victory cigar or a top five top ten cigar whatever it is was a thing but apparently it is yeah he said he bought like, I don't know, like 20 cigars or something when he was racing um, full time and he saved them for when he had his first top 10. And I guess that year he didn't have a top 10. 
So they've kind of just been sitting in the hauler and <laughs> he, uh, he kept them there. So um, the team to that point didn't have a top 10 and um, yeah, we had a magical night in Daytona and, and got through the carnage and yep. kept it in one piece and did what we had to do and ended up finishing fifth. And um, Tommy broke out the cigars and, and then it kind of became like a thing, you know, if, uh, if we had a top 10 for the rest of the year or whatever, they would break out cigars. And I believe Stefan got a top 10 at Bristol and, yep. and they had one there. So um, it's pretty cool, you know? So like now that's kind of like our, our thing, you know, like when I, I text them, I'm like, Hey, you know, I'm looking forward to 2023 to making some noise, but also burning some cigars. So I'm, hoping, right. he, I'm hoping he's left some of the budget for um, a lot of cigars. <laughs> Yes. Only the good stuff too. Right. Nothing. That's right. Cheap stuff. Um, so this year also, I feel like one of the, the feel good stories came at Pocono when you raced in that event for alpha prime racing, you've obviously talked at length about what that track means to you, why it's so important. I'm not going to have you relive and rehash all that stuff again, but I am curious because you rode a bicycle beforehand around the racetrack. Mm -hmm. Why was doing that so important to you? Yeah. So, I mean, Pocono in general is just like, it's one of those tracks that I put more pressure on myself to begin with, just because it's in my backyard. Uh, you know, like we, we spoke earlier about Nazareth being my home track. Well, since that went away, Pocono was the next thing to me and that's only 30 minutes from my house. So a lot of the people that can't see me race across the country come to that race to, to support me. So, um, I put a lot of pressure on myself and I take a lot of pride in, in that race. Um, and then given the circumstances of everything that's happened in my past there, you know, it, it added to that. Um, and I've had opportunities in the past to go run at Pocono, but I just didn't feel like I was ready to go run at Pocono yet. And, you know, it took me, I think seven years to be able to, to go race there. So, um, for me, knowing that it was in my backyard, I wanted to, be able to go there and see it all before I actually got in the car to see it, you know? So, um, I came up with the idea of maybe taking a bike up there and if they were possible, they could let me go on the track and just kind of ride a lap or two around it. And they were really helpful with that, allowed that to happen. And I thank everybody at Pocono and NASCAR for making that happen. But, um, yeah, I was able to go up there ride my bike around. And, um, for me, it was mostly just to be able to take it all in, um, go through the turn one where I had the accident, kind of see it all, feel it all, um, at a slow pace on a bicycle rather than seeing it, you know, at 190 miles an hour for the first time. So, um, it was great. It was a big help and it was a powerful moment. And I was able to kind of, get some emotions out then rather than, you know, in the car per se. So, um, you know, it was still obviously emotional for me to get in the car and go do it. Um, but you know, as a racer and as an athlete, I feel like athletes, especially racers are, are very, very good and gifted at compartmentalizing things and pushing things in the back of their head. Um, just cause we have to be in this sport, you know, it's a beautiful sport we do, but there's also, you know, it's, it can be very ugly at times. So you have to be able to kind of compartmentalize and, um, you know, walking up to the car for the first time 
there was was tough but i knew i was there to do a job and um i got in the car and and once i was able to do one lap it just all of a sudden you know it just started clicking and i just was like all right we're here this is just another race another racetrack and, and focus on the task at hand and we did that and my goal there was just to kind of have a drama free day and finish the race and did that finished 20th which for me was was a success you know i think a lot i i think the team a lot because they didn't really go into that weekend with me thinking like this is a, a race for us to try and maximize the result you know i think everybody around me really helped with the perception of this is much bigger than a race this is a lot different than a normal race weekend for our driver you know for our team this is more about trying to progress him and, and help me get through this experience um so it wasn't about finishing result it was more or less just however they could help me manage all that and and everybody really helped me and did a great job and it was uh i posted a photo after i was with my uh sports psychologist um jared spencer who helped me along the way yeah. from 2015 on um during that process and i just posted a photo with him um on the pit lane after just like you know we came here and we, and we finally did it so um you know knowing i was wanting to come full-time racing in nascar i knew i'd have to race there eventually right so um you just kind of got to do it and and embrace it and it was kind of that last part of that healing process for me so i'm i'm blessed that i was able to do that you speak about the healing process riding through it on a bicycle that was part of it i'm sure going through it at speed in a stock car for the first time was part of it you know listening to your story and reading up on it i know that at the indy 500 parade when justin's kids waved to you and said hello to you i know that that was a really big part of the healing process as well what did that day and that moment when they waved to you and spoke with you what did that mean to you yeah um you know when the accident happened justin's kids were were very little so um probably like very young to the point where you know they they wouldn't really know me or or what was going on um per se fully you know so um fast forward i don't know i, I don't remember exactly what year it was i think it was maybe 2020 um you know, a few years, you know, now the kids are more grown up. Um, but I still haven't had any, you know, FaceTime or, you know, communication with them since the accident. And, um, you know, I was, sorry, there's the dog, <laughs> but, um, I was able to, um, see them at the parade and that was pretty cool because like I said, I, I was never able to really get in front of them before. And I never, it was always, in my mind one of the biggest questions about it was how have the kids been you know like through this whole process and do they blame me do they hate me kind of deal um so to be able to see them and see that they were happy but then also on top of that for them to acknowledge me and wave to me and smile that meant like the world to me because it just kind of cemented that you know they're okay with me. And that was one of my biggest things in my head as a young kid going through this was, you know, that there were two little girls 
that don't have a father anymore and, and a wife that doesn't have a husband, you know, a brother who lost a brother, you know, it's just, those were the things that really hurt me, you know, like during this process so that I couldn't grasp. And that was a huge part of the, the healing process for me. Um, I'd say that was probably the biggest, biggest thing along the journey. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you sharing that. I know you've done it a lot of times, but it's, it's a really inspiring and important story. And I think the fact that, you know, as, as you said at Pocono, you, you have made peace with that racetrack and you have conquered it now. I think it's worth repeating. So thank you for sharing that. I know I got only a couple more minutes left with you and you mentioned wrestling a couple times in this chat. I know that that is really, really important to you. You're on the East End wrestling uh, staff there. Your dad is obviously heading up things there. You have wrestled in your uh, past life as a, as, a, as a kid. Why is wrestling so important to you and what can you give back to them that the sport has given you? Yeah, wrestling. Um, like I said, I feel like when I was born, I was supposed to be a wrestler. Um, I come from like a wrestling family. My dad wrestled Division One. Um, and I started wrestling when I was four years old. So basically right when I was able to, I started and, and that was kind of the plan. So, um, you know, growing up doing it, it's a, it's a pretty different sport in the sense of it's, it's tough, you know, like it's, it's mentally tough. It, it's, it's physically tough. It's draining, you know, it really tests you as a human being and teaches you a lot of life lessons and valuable lessons that you can take, um, to normal everyday life, but also to other sports. And, um, a lot of the stuff I go through in racing and have to, you know, get through, um, I feel like wrestling has helped yeah. prepare me for those things. And it's also just a great physical workout. So, um, you know, when, when I'm not racing, um, wrestling season starts. And so through the whole winter months leading up to race season, um, you know, I try and get on the mat as much as I can with the high school kids and, it keeps me in, in really good shape. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's given back to me a lot, um, in the sense of, you know, back to Pocono, like when all, when all that happened, when race season ended, wrestling season began, and that was probably the first time I could really get out of my room and, and just kind of, you know, get back into the swing of things a little bit and be around, you know, other people and, and the high school kids and stuff. And, and sure. they would help me with, you know, bringing a smile to my face and, and getting my mind off things and, and just kind of doing something else other than just sitting there thinking. And, you know, I'm in there as a coach helping them, but really they're there helping me and they don't even know it. So, um, you know, I, I hold that pretty near and dear to me and I feel like I'll always be a part of wrestling in some way. I don't know if it's, it's, you know, coaching or having kids one day that are involved in the sport or what, but, um, it is a great sport that I, I, I truly, I truly enjoy. And I'm glad that I can give back to the sport of wrestling and still help kids. And I feel like that's my role as a coach at Easton. Um, you know, I'm, I wasn't a state champion or anything like that, but, um, I feel like I've gone through a lot in my short time on this earth. Um, so my, my dad, I feel like pins me in as the guy that can kind of relate and and talk to these kids um if there's anything they ever need to talk to so i'm like that guy for them that they can come to and and really open up and have a conversation with and and i take pride in that yeah as you should that's a it's a very admirable 
thing to do. Have you talked to Kevin Harvick at all, the Cup Series champion? He's He was a huge wrestler in high school, and I think he's basically spoken about how he kind of carries some characteristics and things that he's learned on the mat into what he does inside the race car. You should talk to him about it. I feel like you guys could could match on that wavelength. Yeah, no, I, I didn't know that, actually, um, that he was a wrestler. That's pretty cool. But, um, yeah, I haven't spoke with him um, at all. It'd be cool to meet Kevin, <laughs> you know? I don't know. I, I'm still, like, meeting a lot of people yeah. in NASCAR world, you know? Like I like I said, like, coming from open wheel to NASCAR, it's two completely different worlds. And um, so I'm still kind of finding my place and and. Yeah, meeting people. Um, but yeah, he would be he would be somebody that I'd really love to chat with and yeah, talk wrestling. And now that I know wrestling, or now that I know that he's wrestling, um, you know, if it ever comes up in the future, maybe uh we'll have like a little grudge match or something. <laughs> oh, hey now. That, that'll sell some pay-per-view buys right there. I'm in. <laughs> no no I'm, I'm sure it's all good but you know yeah. maybe you know how racing gets sometimes you, you know oh. there's a little bit of some some post-race drama but it might be a, a little good little wrestling match <laughs> do what you gotta do yeah i feel yeah. you um last thing so alpha prime you're gonna run a, a big schedule with them this year probably the most races in a calendar year in a stock car that you have so far starting out at atlanta i'm sure that the off-season preparations besides uh, sparring on the mat is going to be getting ready for Atlanta, whether that's on iRacing and the simulator at the race shop, all the above. Do you have any specific goals or expectations that you and Tommy Joe are kind of looking at for this upcoming year? Or have you kind of just approached it like you've approached everything else in the NASCAR world? And that is, I'm still new at it. I'm kind of learning on the fly. Let's just take it one week at a time. Yeah. I mean, a little bit of that, of, of still learning and, and, figuring things out because there's going to be a lot of tracks on my schedule that I haven't been to. Um, and I know just from doing it now for over a year and, and the team knows that that's, it's not easy to go somewhere that you've never seen and, and try and figure it out quite quickly and, and have your strongest showing, you know, like that's, it's quite difficult. So at least you'll get practice this year. Right. Yeah, no. So just a little bit. Yeah. We like practice, but, um, yes, you know, so, so I think for those ones, it's more or less, yeah, like let's learn as much as we can. Let's keep it in one piece and, and get as many laps as we can under our belt. But as far as like my goals for places I've been, um, like, you know, I, I, I won't accept like taking a step back. Like I, I want to improve on, on how I've done at those places. So, you know, whether that's in qualifying, if I qualified, 20th at one place I want to qualify 20th or better if I finish 15th I want to finish 15th or better you know like so I feel like it's just more or less just showing that there's progression um and you know I I think at some of those tracks like the road course the road courses and stuff we've shown pace where we can run inside the top three top five um and you know those races it's it's with late yellows and stuff it's never out of question of things happening there and I think uh a realistic goal for me for a road course this year would to be a top three. I, I think we could do it. Think you could win? Uh, like I said, with, with a little bit of some some luck, I think with late restarts and stuff, I think there's always that possibility on the road courses. Um, you know, I look at uh, Roval this year, and I was running third there with a couple laps to go before we, we had some misfortune. But yep. um, 
the guys that I was running with, you know, they're, they're going to be in cup next year. So, so hopefully uh, that's a good sign. Hopefully, um, you know, I, I can kind of stay where I was there yeah. and uh, the guys filling those seats aren't, aren't, you know, as road course <laughs> talented as yeah. those guys were. If you wind up winning a race, you're going to have to break out a whole lot more than a cigar just for that oh. celebration. I know. I, I should I should talk to Tommy about that. You know, there's top ten cigars, yeah. but then there's gotta be like win cigars. Yeah. Well it was his birthday yesterday, so give him like a week grace period to like celebrate and then you can get on him about getting some victory <laughs> sure, celebrations sure. together. Well, Sage, <laughs> I appreciate your time, man. I know it's a busy time of the off season. Um, give your dogs my best. They are welcome anytime. Uh and I look forward to seeing you at the racetrack this year, man. Enjoy the off season, okay? Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. And if you need me again, just let me know. <laughs> oh, I will. Don't you worry. We only scratched the surface, my friend. Sounds good. And we are back. Great chat with Sage there. Not Saffron Karam, but Sage Karam. Not a spice boy, not a spice girl. Appreciate his time. Appreciate your time, Sage, if you're listening. Uh, and thank you also to Roly Sage's camp. He's his manager, and I appreciate him carving out some time and coordinating the conversation. Looking forward to seeing what Sage can do this year for Alpha Prime Racing. And that was one of many silly season moves that have been announced over the past couple weeks since we have last reconvened on Victory Lane. Just to scratch the surface, you have Bill McAnally Racing announcing their 2023 Truck Series lineup. Christian Eckes is in. Derek Krause is out. Colby Howard is out. Jake Garcia is in. Eckes in the 19. Garcia in the 35. That is their two-truck lineup for 2023. GMS Racing, not to be confused with Petty GMS, they have announced the driver of the 24 truck. That is Washington, D.C.'s own finest, Raja Karuth. It was a bit of an unkept secret in the NASCAR Twitterverse, at least. Uh, I believe tobychrissy.com were the first to report that news. But happy for Raj, a guest on the show, long, long-time supporter of myself, and I can say the same for him. So happy for him getting that full-time opportunity in the truck series. Awesome moment for him. Awesome announcement. And GMS now adds another truck to their stable along with Grant Enfinger and Daniel Dye. Also, Joe Gibbs Racing and Sam Hunt Racing, they have announced their lineups for the Xfinity Series in 2023. Replacing Ty Gibbs will be Sammy Smith. He's going to be in the 18 car full-time. And John Hunter Nemechek is going to be in the 20 car full-time as well. Part-time is going to be Ryan Truex. He's going to run at least six races in the 19 Camry, excuse me, Supra, for Joe Gibbs Racing. So JGR's got John Hunter Nemechek in the 20, Sammy Smith in the 18, Ryan Truex in the 19, part-time. They also have not one, but two additional full-time entries in the Xfinity Series in the form of Sam Hunt Racing. Now, they had one full-time entry last year, but it was a bunch of different drivers piloting that number 26 car. This upcoming year, Kaz Grala is going to be in the number 24 entry for Sam Hunt Racing. It's going to be his first full-time ride in a NASCAR National Series since 2017, and Connor Mosack is going to be in the number 24 car. I might have said 24 for Kaz Grala. I meant 26. It's a lot of numbers. It's a lot of things going on. Kaz in the 26 for all the races. Connor Mosack in the 24 as the anchor driver for 20 races beginning at Phoenix. Again, Sam Hunt, he has been on the show. 
I've been a longtime friend of his, and he has been absolutely amazing in the progress that he has made in a really relatively short amount of time. I remember when he was a K&M Pro Series driver, and then he became an owner, and then he tried to move up to the Xfinity Series. He did so successfully. And he's come a long way, folks, from living in a van outside of the race shop, sleeping with a sleeping bag and tires for a pillow. Now he is an Xfinity Series owner, a legitimate contender for not just race wins, but even potentially the championship. So good on Sam Hunt Racing. Good on everybody over at that organization and Toyota for propping up that young man and Sam Hunt. And good for him for propping up Kaz Gralla, who I'm going to be very excited to see what he can do in a full-time ride next year. Not to mention Sage Karam for Alpha Prime Racing. That obviously was announced a couple weeks ago as well. And Richard Childress Racing. We know their driver lineup, but their sponsorship lineup was finalized the day of this recording as well. A new stylized number eight font for Kyle Busch. Cheddars is returning. 3Chi is returning. Bet MGM is returning. We knew that Lenovo was returning. In addition, Alsco is going to be returning. So you can count one, two, three, four, five sponsors at least that are returning to the number eight car next year to sponsor Kyle Busch. And that was the problem at Joe Gibbs Racing. They could not find a sponsor or multiple sponsors to step up and sponsor the 18 effort. That's why he wound up leaving, and he's now at RCR. But all those sponsors were with Tyler Reddick. Now they move over to Kyle Busch, and they are going to be getting rowdy in 2023. Okay, I know that's a lot going on, but it feels like silly season news is just absolutely coming at us from left, from the right, center. It's coming in at all different times of day, times of night, from all different directions, all different series. And something tells me, because I know, we are not done. Potentially far from being done. So keep it locked to SiriusXM NASCAR Radio. Keep it locked to my Twitter. Keep it locked to this podcast right here. And all the news will be coming your way in some form or fashion. That'll wrap things up, though, for episode 171 of Victory Lane 2.0. I really hope you guys like what you heard here today. Please do me a favor, if you did... Leave a rating and a review. You can subscribe to the podcast on Apple. You can listen to it on that little green app as well. SoundCloud, Google Play, wherever you get your podcasts, we should be available there for your consumption. And if we're not, just drop me a line on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram or TikTok or whatever, and I will try to rectify that issue for you. I really appreciate you guys hanging in with me this offseason. I have another interview set to be recorded. Fingers crossed that it does come to fruition. That's me knocking on wood. Uh, For some reason, Siri is listening to me right now on my watch. Um, Anyways, I appreciate you guys sticking with me, and I appreciate Sage joining me on the show this week. We will talk to you guys next time. In the meantime, enjoy the offseason. Happy holidays. I hope everybody had a happy Thanksgiving. If you're celebrating Christmas or New Year's or Hanukkah early or Kwanzaa, enjoy that, but I will most definitely talk to you guys before then. Enjoy it, party people. We'll talk to you on the flip side.